Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Oh, here we go, boys. that sound. This is a good one. Welcome to the Full Scale Outdoor Waterfowl Wednesday edition. I'm Nick Johnson. We got another duo episode. Dale, you're back again. Back again. Shady's back. Look who's back. You seen any fluff, fluff falls yet? I actually have not seen any up here. It's really kind of weird. I don't know if it was a failed. I don't know why it would be, but I hear geese around. Uh, weird goose update or geese update. I, I'm pretty sure these geese listen to our podcast because the day after stuff changes. <laughs> like, So it'll what be you, interesting what to see what happens. Well, last week I gave the update like, my geese had left this field. Had those 18, my geese, I say mine, they're mine. Uh, the 18 geese that were right next to my field that had been there for a month, They after the episode last week, they disappeared. But then the other field that has been having geese in it all year blew up. Like there was at least 18 added to that. So I was like, okay, maybe they just found their buddies over there and are chilling there because the grass is super tall in this field, but it's grazed because they have cattle in the other field. Mm-hmm. Of course, the next day, that big flock was reduced. Like, they didn't all leave, but a lot of them left. And now it's been at about 14 geese in that field since last Wednesday. So it'll and they're be, still there. And they're still there. I did literally just drove past them minutes ago. That's weird. And I haven't heard anything about molt migrants coming through like this latitude, like the Minneapolis latitude since June 9th. Yeah, at this at this point, I can't imagine they're going to. But I mean, maybe they will, maybe, maybe they're just and maybe this small flock, maybe they will just stay there because they have food there. You know, it's it's they got food, they got water, there's a creek, there's a farm pond, they got the cattle keeping the grass nice and short and also, you know, continually growing. So they're getting new shoots. Maybe they have everything they need right there. Perhaps they're going to molt right there. That I don't know. It's weird. But the rest of them left. And so I don't, to where I have no idea. They're not on the lake. I was just fishing last night. You hear like, you'll hear a pair sounding off every once in a while. Still a little territorial dispute once in a while, but like no big, you're not hearing flocks of geese. Either chilling or flying anywhere. So kind of weird. Did I ever, did I ever mention on this podcast on my buddy Jeff Houston heard snow geese flying over uh, his his boat at like one o'clock in the morning walleye fishing on June 1st, like 1 a.m. on June 1st. No. I did not mention that. No. Where was that at? Um, Around Alexandria, Minnesota. Okay. Crazy. So this was on June 1st. He texted me and said he heard two flocks of snow geese flying over uh, heading north at 1 a.m. Hmm. And then that kind of like sent me down a rabbit hole. Like um, I reached out to my buddy, Alan Ike, who lives down in uh, Missouri, Illinois. And uh, I was talking to him and he always knows about like a little flock of snow geese that'll stick around like very late into the spring. And then I saw something on like, I think snow goose migration 2.0 
and uh, there was people saying there was, you know, they're talking about snow geese that were still kind of scattered around. And this would have been around the June 1st time period. And um, I talked to Nick Pashusta about it. It's just kind of an interesting little phenomenon that um, snow geese, like little pods of snow geese, anywhere from 30 to 100 geese are sitting somewhere deep south in the United States, like into June. Like I heard about a flock that was in, I think, Glen Elder, Kansas, a couple hundred of them or a hundred of them. It was on that snow goose migration. And so I, it's kind of interesting. He just heard some on June 1st flying north. Huh, that is interesting. Huh. You know, I have heard, um, I don't call it a, can't really call it urban because it's not urban. It'd be rural. A rural legend of um, North Dakota has local snow geese populations that, and, that, that never leave. But I've, I've only ever heard it as, I heard, you know, and I've never had a first person, like a farmer going, yeah, they're out in my cow pond yeah. right now. And that thread did have that thread on snow goose migration. Now, most people are writing. Um, most people are writing, oh, they must be cripples from a jump shoot, which A, they're not. Um, <laughs> and B, don't you, you know, if we're going to go off of like comments about jump shooting on Facebook, where would all the specks and ducks be? You know, shouldn't they be surrounded by also surrounded by crippled specks and ducks? Because fair point. Uh, yeah. Every jump shoot on Facebook, somebody's got a comment like, where's all the specks and ducks you shot? Right. <laughs> as if it's, as if it's impossible. Like the thing, they're not mutually exclusive. Like both truths can be true at the same time. Like I, I know for a fact, not because I've done it, but, uh, firsthand information of people that have, uh, done a jump shoot and incidental birds were uh, involved but i have been a part of a couple jumps in which there weren't any so it both things can be true right i've jumped quite a few snow geese in my day and uh not a ton actually i'm actually pretty bad at it i'm not i'm terrible at it like for whatever i'm not reason, good. i'm I not very good i can't Dude. sneak up on them <laughs> they always, they always bust honestly me. honestly props to the jump shooters out there that are good at it yeah. it, it it is actually a skill and no i've never shot any incidental birds i agree i mean there's a time like probably what would have been my best jump and i actually was able to sneak down into position and get like super super close i didn't shoot because once i got down in there i'm like dude there's no way i mean it was full of specs honkers and ducks it's like there's 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 zero chance that i could shoot one time and not hit a plethora of waterfall <laughs> species so I just sat um, there and enjoyed it and then jumped up and watched them all fly away. Okay, so let's jump into some topics. Uh, the first topic I wanted to get into was um, it's just kind of a continuing topic that we've been bringing up here on the podcast quite a bit is the Manitoba draw license system that's going on. I've got more information about it. Also, the, the um App online applications are being accepted June 15th to July 15th. So that is tomorrow. Tomorrow you can start to put in for your Manitoba draw license, which let's remind everybody you want to do. <laughs> like, <this laughs> I'm is... starting to think that you're a paid agent of, of the Canadian government. You really want people to go to Canada. Like if this is your last year where you guaranteed <laughs> we'll get one, let's if you haven't heard me like been listening to any of these other podcasts, let me remind everybody like why I'm so adamant that you definitely want to get to Manitoba this year is because it's not a guarantee that you will get to go in following years. You will have to put in for the draw license and beat the odds. This year, you do not have to beat the odds. If you put in for the draw license, you get the license. So if you've ever had Manitoba on your bucket list, and it's such an accessible like it's such an accessible um, Canadian hunt for like guy, a lot of guys who listen to this podcast are in the Minnesota and upper Mississippi flyway area. It's um, I mean, from Minneapolis to get to Winnipeg, it's like seven hours, you know, like we're not talking about like Saskatchewan driving distances here. It's like much more accessible. Mm -hmm. Anyways, they um, that is opening up tomorrow. But what the uh, Manitoba government did recently was they released a Manitoba foreign resident migratory game bird license draw program application guide. 
So this is like a little bit of a guide framework. And there's a little bit of some curveballs that we have not discussed um, on the show. And actually, I'm just learning about it um, now, and it would be kind of interesting to go through it. So if anybody wants to look this up, obviously, it's the foreign um, foreign Manitoba Foreign Resident Migratory Game Bird License Draw Program Application Guide. <laughs> kind of a mouthful, yeah. but if you if you Google that, it's the first thing that pops up. And you can read what I'm reading, right? Now, I would definitely recommend people do their own research on this. Don't just go off of what we're saying. There, we are covered legally. <laughs> right. So, as we all, or as we know, that they are going to be implementing a draw system. Um, like we just said, everybody gets drawn this year, but there are some, like, there's some priority levels. So, let's go through like what that means as for like what's that going to mean going into the future and there's some just general information can you bear with me while i just rattle this off for sure all right here's starts out general information about the frmgb license draw the manitoba frmb fgb draw program is a multi-level priority draw that will award a single seven-day license to all successful applicants so you only get seven days it will be up to the individual successfully or successful applicant to accept purchase and select the seven consecutive days the license will be valid an application may include up to six applicants so we have not mentioned that on the show you can have six people within your one application the draw deadline is july 15th at 11 59 p.m applications must be registered online at manitoba elicensing.ca um, that's, a, that's where I've always gone through to do my Manitoba e-licensing since 2020. It's actually a very easy system to use. Draw licenses are available through the draw process only once per year. Applicants must be foreign residents. Um, any remaining licenses after the draw are not available for purchase. Oh, well, yes. Yeah, so which, this only which it's a hundred percent draw this, this year. year. Yes. So once you have entered the draw, you do not have to enter the draw program on an annual basis for your priority level to increase. You do have to enter an application each year that you would like to have the opportunity to be drawn in for a foreign resident migratory game bird draw license. Did that make sense? I think, that didn't make sense to me when I said it. I think so. I think um, they're saying you need to apply, but you don't have to apply to increase your points your like preference points to get drawn. Right. Okay. So here's the priority levels, which we definitely have not talked about before. This is the first time that I'll be reading it. I'll try to go through a little slower. (laughs) The draw program is based on 10 priority levels in the draw system. Level one is the most favorable level and level 10 is the least favorable level. A personal priority level is assigned to each individual. An application with two or more applicants is entered into the draw system at the least favorable personal priority level of all applicants in the application. First-time applicants will be assigned a personal priority level of eight. Hmm. Applications are processed randomly and sequentially in the draw system according to priority level with level one being chosen first, then level two, followed by level three, continuing in that fashion until all licenses have been awarded. Once entered into the draw, hunters will not need to apply every year in order to advance their priority level. The draw system will automatically advance their personal priority level each year if their account is not in penalty. However, in order to be awarded a license, an applicant must be submitted online in that year. Applicants are excluded from the draw participation due to an unpaid draw debt will have their personal priority level frozen and will be excluded from purchasing all Manitoba Fish and Wildlife licenses, regardless of the origin of debt, which I think is counter to what I've talked about on the podcast before, which I think I said, if you win the draw license this year, you are not required to pay for it or you're not required to go. So you might as well just, even if you had a whim of going to Manitoba, put in for this draw license, because if you win and you don't go, what's, you don't have to buy the license anyways, you know, like if something happened, right? That does not seem to be the case. Right. I think I miss, I, I think I misspoke. I think I might've given some false information out on the podcast, which Here, here's how I understand it. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong or if you think I'm wrong. Um, so once you apply, you're like in the system, you do not have to continue applying. Like 
to get your preference points. So everybody, it's 100% draw this year, but after this year, it's it's going to go by those preference points. Unlike other license uh, game license where like every year you apply and you don't get it, you earn points until eventually you are awarded the thing. You don't have to do that with this. It sounds like once you have your um, register, once you're registered, um, then that's it's in there. So let's say you know you're not going to be able to go up there for four years. You don't have to buy license all those four years or apply, but in four years you're going to get those preference points. Anyways, so it's it's more likely you're gonna get chosen to go based, you know, and that could easily influence you. Like, you know what? It's been five years. I've been to Canada. We should go. More than likely, we'll get drawn. Kind of a thing, right? Because it could sounds be like they're it. trying to they're trying to prioritize the people who have already been there. Correct. Yeah. Okay, but it also says like this no. one through ten. No. No, not really. Uh, just it. I think with their. Um, I guess I don't. I don't want their. I can only speculate what their motivations are. I don't. If you've been there before, I mean, it, they're almost. Man, I don't. I don't think there's any preferential treatment to like being there before. Like you have to register one time to be in the books or whatever. But then, after that, you don't have to. Now I think that that um, that element of where they uh, where it said if you don't purchase your ticket then your points are frozen that's probably right. more so to protect against maybe your animal rights activist people that buy tags so that they don't get used that's actually a good point because i have heard of that happening yeah it's it's happened with a lot of different game animals so that way if you don't use it then you're not going to get drawn you know they freeze your points or whatever okay and here's one thing another thing i don't understand about this all right uh priority levels are level one through ten 10 is the least favorable, but your very, very first time you ever apply, you're assigned a personal priority level of eight. And it only goes up from there. Like it only goes eight, seven, six. So how the fuck do you go from eight to nine to 10? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it probably starts dropping off. They're probably having like, they just, they're putting it at a baseline eight, eights. You're, you know, you're automatically getting drawn. Everybody's getting drawn. And from there it'll start going up. So, um, you know, if you don't get drawn next year, then, you know, then you'll bump up to a seven, you know. Right, right. But how do you so bump far. down to a nine or ten? I don't know. Maybe it, <laughs> maybe it resets. Maybe it resets next year at a at a ten. You know, like if you first for a very first time uh, apply. Yeah, maybe if you. Uh, hunters must obtain landowner permission before hunting on private land. Hunters must possess and be able to produce a valid hunter education certificate. Licenses are not transferable. Unallocated draw licenses will not be made available if a license is lost and destroyed and must be reprinted. Please refer to the current Manitoba Hunting Guide for a summary of the regulations. Conditions failing to comply with the conditions of the hunting license or making a false statement in an application for such a license are offenses, blah, blah, blah person whose hunting privileges are suspended from hunting must not apply only foreign residents must apply for the foreign resident license okay is there any other thing do you know if there's an age or a a year where you that's not required because i know like for minnesota you have to have a um you know a firearm safety certificate to get a license but only if you're born after a certain year yeah, no. if you're old, you don't need one. I don't yep. see any exception I, for that. And I've had mine. I've, I've always had a firearm safety. In fact, I have an advanced hunter education um, card somewhere. But that would be my problem. If they need a physical card, I don't. I have no idea where that is. Yeah, like uh, 12-year-old Nick didn't do a great job saving my hunter education <laughs> exactly. card. So now 36-year-old Nick is like, gosh. <laughs> you know what I was looking at the other day? I was looking at my social security card, which you are issued, you know, as an infant. Right. (laughs) So on the back of the social security card, it says, please sign here and keep this on your person. Like, I'm like, what? Like, here, put put the pen in baby infant Nick Johnson's hand. (laughs) Have him sign it. I was like, that's kind of a ridiculous thing to have on the back of the social security card. Yeah, it is. That's funny. Anyways, um, 
Once again, this is called the Manitoba Foreign Resident Migratory Game Bird License Draw Program Application Guide. Um, it's not as straightforward as I would like it to be. Let me put well, it. Let me just and say that. And I also that. feel like it, it's probably you know this is going to be a bunch of legal jargon and stuff like that. I bet it's not nearly as complicated as we're making it sound. <laughs> like maybe we should have actually read this once <laughs> before we were on air. So we could just go through this like, wait, wait, what does this mean? That uh, would be stuff. that would be so on scale outdoor style. Yeah, that's not our style. No, 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 no. I a, have some information. I don't know what it means. <laughs> let's, let's, we'll save let's, that for legitimate podcasts. All right. Let's, let's, let's discuss not this. Um But there is there's some interest like uh some curveballs in here. But anyways, I think what the point I wanted to bring up is Tomorrow you there, can put your application there's a, in. There's a priority system, and everybody gets your application in tomorrow. Remember, this is the last year. Okay, so, and Jeff, actually Jeff Houston, he's the one who emailed me that to even let me know this is going on. He says, you can do some smart stuff to get an edge, like apply online with people who have been there multiple times before, etc. Basically do a group, but don't use any first-timers. Hmm. Um, that's what Jeff's takeaway from it was, too. Anyways, so it seems, yeah, I'm trying to trying to weigh like the point system. Like if you don't, you don't lose your. So there's no benefit of going every year or not going every year. I can't say that definitively. I'm almost to the point where I'm just like, all right, read it your fucking self. <laughs> <laughs> which we, we did you know... say, which we did say before we even started. Right, right. You now you know it's there. Um, look, the application is June 15th, <laughs> July 15th, put in for it. You're going to get it this year. And then you can figure out the rest <laughs> later. Call Bob with Okamic Outfitters. Let him know that I told him, told yeah. you to call. Tell him you want to hunt September 23rd in the killing field, right off of the Okamic Refuge. You might get a double band doing that. Oh, we've, we've downgraded to might. You've been guaranteeing it up until this point. Have I? Yeah. That sounds like me. I guarantee. <laughs> Bob's phone number is 204-389-2242. You can find him at Game Fair, too. If you see Bob with Okamic Outfitters at Game Fair, you can you know, holler at him. Tell yeah. him you heard about him on this show. You should definitely do that. Bob sure. should know that I've done something for him in my life. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he's got at least a mil- at least a couple hundred, at least one, one or two people may have said something by now. Okay, and then uh, topic two that we were going to discuss, we kind of actually broke into it pretty good last week at the very end of the episode, was talking about white cheek geese. Cacklers, baby. I shot some cacklers. No, no, no. Cacklers are only in the Pacific Northwest. (laughs) No, dude. I went to North Dakota, (laughs) and we got our cacklers. No, you got cackling geese, not cackler, <laughs> not cackling cacklers. Not cackling and are cacklers. you sure? Are you sure they were not lessers? I had I had cackling honkers. Okay, okay. Well, here here's Canadians. what I want to avoid. Here's what I want to avoid when it comes to this um, discussion is belittling anybody for not knowing the exact species and subspecies of the white cheek geese they are shooting and are interested in and are trying to learn about because. I was extremely ignorant about all of this stuff as well for most of my life. And um, this change in species between cackling geese and Canada geese happened when I was 17 years old. It happened like basically as I'm an adult. So all of my youth like hunting, there only was one species of white cheek goose. And that was the Canada goose with all of its different subspecies. So it's been a learning curve for me. And I don't want anybody to think i'm going out there and trying to say like you're an idiot for not knowing this no you'd have to actually just be very interested in to actually know the correct terminology for all these extraordinarily similar looking birds that happen to be recently put into a different different species category right yes i mean i 100 agree no need to go after those people save your judgment your shame and your ridicule for the people that refer to them as canadians <laughs> yes, exactly. That is, that is no. still one hundred percent appropriate to mock them. So, if we go back to like when I was a kid, and I'm just trying to think of like, um, like what did I consider to be 
a cackling goose, a lesser, and a Canada goose. Um, and it basically, I broke it down, like in my young mind, I would just break them down small, medium, large. You know, if it was a large goose, it was a honker. If it was a medium goose, it was a lesser. If it was a small goose, it was a cackler. Or is that kind of how you also yeah, were like inter- introduced big, to this? Big geese are honkers. And medium-sized geese are honkers, and little tiny geese are honkers. Right. That's not so, really how it goes, but. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, here, I'm going to just bust out my Birds of the World subscription, which I'm currently paying $8 a month for. Worth and it. I need to, yeah, I've actually just been waiting for this episode to cancel it, because it is kind of fun. <laughs> just to, it's fun just to sign up. And then read stuff about like redheads or old squaws or harlequins and then cancel it. Those are long tailed ducks, sir. It's very offensive. Okay. We're let's break it down. <laughs> if you're seeing a white cheek goose, right? Before we talk about subspecies and populations, there is only two species of white cheek geese that exist in the world, right? That is a Canada goose and a cackling goose. Those, that is it, species-wise. So if you see, and that's going to break down into your medium and large geese are all Canada geese, and your small geese are all cackling geese. Okay, does that make sense? Yes. Okay, and this is straight out of the Birds of the World subscription. The cackling goose, with its striking white cheek patches and high-pitched calls that crescendo in volume with large flock sizes is a distinctive aspect of waterfall migration in central and western north america formerly considered conspecific conspecific with its broadly distributed larger bodied white cheek relative the canada goose the four small bodied subspecies that comprise the cackling goose were formally acknowledged as a distinct species by the American Ornithologist Union in 2004. The subspecies exhibit gradient in body size and plumage color, and each inhabits a distinct breeding region from the Aleutian Island chain in western Alaska to east to none of it. Ordered from smallest to largest, they are the Branta Hutchinsai minima, that would be the cackling cackler, um, which is uh, breeds in the Yukon, Kuskokwim, Delta, Alaska. The Branta Hutchinsai leucoparia, which is also known as the Aleutian cackler, and that breeds in the Aleutian Islands. Then you have the taverner, which is another uh, YK Delta goose, and on the North Slope, and you have your um, um, or your Hutchinsons, your Hutchinsons, which are that's defined as Canadian Arctic. So when people when people are going down to um, Oklahoma and Texas, that's the subspecies of cackling goose that they are hu- killing is the Branta Hutchinsi Hutchinsai. It's like Branta Hutchinsai Hutchinsai. B H Hutchinsai is the Latin name. Kind of like how like uh, a lot of Canada geese are Branta Canadensis Canadensis, right? Right. That's the the Linnaean, uh, what is it, Nomen, nomenclature? Right. And and it's important also to realize that three out of these four subspecies are strictly West Coast birds. You've got minimas, which are cackling cacklers, and those are uh, going to be wintering heavily in the Willamette Valley. You've got Aleutians, which are breeding in damn near Russia like way the fuck away from anything else you got the Aleutian cackling goose and that's wintering in california like really like central california the sacramento area that's where a lot of your um um Aleutians are ending up taverners same thing you're getting into the uh, willamette valley i think they're more distributed across oregon as well and then you, the fourth species the branta hutchinsai hutchinsai where it says their breeding age area is the Canadian Arctic. Like all these three out of those four, all the Western subspecies have these very specific and relatively small breeding areas. Now the central flyway, Mississippi flyway cackling geese, and there's even some of these that go over to the Atlantic flyway and uh, winter along the Atlantic flyway are um, breeding in the Canadian Arctic, which is just 
an incredibly vast area, which is so different than their Western uh, wintering relatives, right? Yeah, I want to go back real quick to the um, the cackler species. Do they list any um, aesthetic differences, or is the, are these subspecies only dictated by nesting area? No, well, like the uh, the Aleutians have that really distinctive white neck ring, which is typically larger than ten millimeters. That I'm drawn from from memory. Um, but the Aleutians are very distinctive. The um, minimas, which the cackling cackler are, those are super distinctive too because of their extraordinarily dark plumage. Now, some of those have a white neck ring, but a lot of them actually, like underneath their black neck, are going to have this almost dark, super dark brown shades of gray, black, and purple that go down mm. across their chest. Very, very dark. Um, and when it comes to all white-cheeked geese, the, typically what's um, uh, what's said is like the further west you get, the darker brown the birds get. So these western subspecies have a much darker pl plumage than like if you go to um, Texas or Oklahoma or Kansas and you shoot cackling geese in that flyway, the Branta Hutchinsai Hutchinsai's, those are also known, uh, common name, nickname as Richardson's. The, the Canadian Arctic, those are much paler. Um, they're much paler, and I would say much um, shittier-looking birds. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> like, if you just go out west and shoot cackling cacklers or Aleutians or taverners, they are a beautiful bird. And if you go down to Oklahoma or Texas and you shoot, like, a hundred stack, of uh cackling geese uh the branta hutchinsai hutchinsai they are not that good looking hmm. like they they just are way paler a little more it's drab to, more drab it's fine it's hard to find some that have like striking and aesthetic features to them like it's so easy to find on their western relatives right sure and uh, another thing i was like speaking of the central flyway cackling geese why do I was just, why do so many people call them lessers? And I saw one book, this was at, um, this is in Larry Robinson's, uh, um, at Coastal Wings. He's got this book at the lodge and it's a market hunting book from Texas. And I was looking through it and they had a, uh, like a photo of a market price of all ducks and geese. And on that, um, and on that price list, you know, they got their, redheads and blackjacks and like the nicknames that they had for ducks back in those days but then they had greater canada goose lesser canada goose on their price sheets so market hunters were killing both graders for you know cackling geese which obviously in those market hunting days weren't known as cackling geese right and so they're hunt they're shooting canada geese and cackling geese but honestly, what really surprised me about that was this book was from like the coastal region of Texas. It's like where all, most of that information was. So I went to Larry with it and I was like, Larry, I didn't know that back um, in the market hunting days that people were shooting like giant Canada geese. And he goes, yep, back in those days, giant Canada geese would migrate all the way to the coastline. Oh, wow. Right. And even you can find in some of Harold Hansen's work. Um, he was finding Canada geese that were um, wintering on the on the western side of Florida, like just along the Gulf of Mexico that what uh, that um, that goes. I think it's up to Alabama on the coastline there. Yep. Like he was he was finding birds that were wintering or um, breeding in the Hudson Bay. These are Canada geese, but smaller bodied, like the medium sized geese. And even in the fifties, they were down um, by. Uh, I believe it was uh, like Pensacola, Florida. Hmm. That were, uh, yeah, so they were going all the way down there. So Canada geese, both large ones and small ones, used to migrate all the way down to the coast. And another interesting thing, just going, continuing off that, is I was, I found a lot of like, like in just reading about stuff, I found a lot of historical stuff about like, different refuges losing their geese like in a more mod modern example with that of that would be in like 
people our age's minds would be the southern Illinois area, how that used to have winter millions of geese, right? And now they don't. But that happened to refuges creeping further south the further back in time you get. Tons of these refuges used to winter tons of geese, and now they don't because they do not migrate as far anymore. I wonder if they're – I wonder what the changes – the factors were for changing that if it was um dare i say climate or agricultural practices you know i think it's a combination of both sure and, or maybe and, de- and development lake. who knows like which lakes are developed now and not developed and you know like management of the refuges maybe if they do any drawdowns of their lakes you know who, who knows like yeah like it could be and it could be and probably is a multitude of reasons. Hey, you know how one time I brought up on the podcast, I've actually brought it right, probably brought it, brought it up a couple of times. Like, I wonder where all these Arctic nesting geese and their subspecies would um, would breed during the Ice Age. Right. Yeah, I know. I've talked about that, too, or thought about it. It's like at some point in time when half of or more than half of Minnesota was covered in Glaciers, glaciers, and glaciers yeah. went all the way to the North Pole. Uh, <laughs> where, where did the geese breed? Exactly. I saw a map. I saw a map of that. Huh? Yeah, I can't remember where. So yeah, but they, I you think they would be. They would be. Their nesting then would be like uh, Southern Minnesota and Iowa. <laughs> you would, know what I mean? It was. That's where the map was. It was like basically just right where the glaciers weren't. Yeah, I mean that makes sense. I mean, like. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. By default, like. <laughs> And then as they receded, you know, they would then follow them. and Right. And I always wondered, like, uh, let's, going back into our cackling goose, Canada goose conversation, like, I always wondered, like, why do the south, the central Illinois people, or I'm sorry, central Illinois, central flyway people call them lessers? Well, it's probably just culturally, like, that's when back, even all the way back to market hunting, there was graders and lessers, you know, there was the... When you go to the market, are you buying a tiny white-cheeked goose or are you buying a big one, right? Yeah, and it's the same. You know, you got your greater white-fronted and lesser-fronted. You got greater snow geese and lesser, you know. So it's like yeah, it's a, it, it's, it's a common breakdown between the, the big version and the little version. So it's exactly right. kind of a but natural like, thing to say. Yeah, they didn't break off the uh, greater white-fronted goose and the lesser white-fronted goose um, into different species. <laughs> Subspe- maybe there's some subspecies of white fronted. I, I don't. Oh, think. there's actually there's five. Oh, okay. See, there you go. There's, there's five subspecies. I can't I can't name them all offhand, but there's what the a loser. Uh, <laughs> there's the Thule, the Thule white fronted goose. There's the Pacific Flyway. <sighs> Fuck. There's also the Mid Continent, and then I think there's two European. Hmm. Two European subspecies. No, there's the Greenland. There's the Greenland subspecies, and then there's the European. Be interesting. All right, to go let's get back. All right, yeah, that's, that's let's a whole other rabbit track. hole for another day. <laughs> so, all right, before I derailed you into that, we were just getting into then, like, the the honkers, the Canada geese. All right, let's go to let's drag up my birds of the world. I also found this really interesting uh, um, pre-2004 uh, report from, like, the environment canada i want to go through too okay so the the different subspecies of canada geese fuck it hold on <laughs> and not to sidetrack you anymore but, but didn't they eliminate weren't there more subspecies and then they're like yeah this one's not really a subspecies and they like recently within the last 10 20 years or something wasn't there some distinction made there's seven subspecies of Canada geese. I don't remember if they got rid of any of them. I vaguely remember. I think we've actually talked about it on this podcast maybe really early on, but it could be wrong. Here, let's check out the uh, that Canada deal. So this has a uh, this is like pre two thousand and four. And it says uh, some races of Canada geese. So these are the races of can, and this is lumped in with um, all different 
or the cackling geese and Canada geese are all lumped together as the same species. It's pre-2004. They have listed giant Canada goose, which would be the Branta canadensis maxima, right? The interior Canada goose, which is the Branta canadensis canadensis. Then they have Richardson's, which we just talked about was the Branta hutchinsai hutchinsai. They have the Western Canada goose, which that is still a subspecies. That's a West, the Western Canada goose. They have the lesser Canada goose, and that is a subspecies of a Canada goose still to this day. So mm. they're, they're, then they got the Vancouver subspecies, the Atlantic float subspecies, the Dusky subspecies, the Cackling subspecies, Taverner subspecies, and Aleutian subspecies. So they got the subspecies of cackling geese all separated the taverners cackling Aleutian, and richardson and then for the canada geese it does look like they have them all kind of neatly separated but i would say like when it comes to the canada goose subspecies they're all very similar i mean between a western a giant and an interior the only difference is going to be as you get further west you get darker plumage and as you get further north you get a smaller body but the one standout uh two standouts in the canada goose um species is the lesser canada goose which makes things very confusing because like because <laughs> people are like yeah we're shooting lessers okay lessers when people say that in the central flyway they're actually shooting tacklers cackling geese they're shooting cackling geese and lesser is actually a subspecies of a Canada goose, and it just happens to be the smallest subspecies of Canada goose. We're really in the weeds now, aren't we? We really. Well, okay, which which one is the smallest <laughs> of the Canada geese? The smallest subspecies is the lesser Canada. It's goose. the lesser. But if so, when I'm in North Dakota in the fall and I'm shooting little geese, and I shoot a goose that is the same size, if not smaller, than a large mallard. That is a that's a cackling goose. That's a cackling goose. And nobody in the Central Flyway is shooting any lesser Canada geese because they breed up around Anchorage and they're wintering in Oregon and Washington. The yeah. actual subspecies lesser Canada goose. They have one they, they they breed in kind of like interior Alaska, and then there's one solid breeding colony like right around Anchorage. No, it it could happen that a, a stray rando gets shot because you know people shoot brants and stuff like that in minnesota from time to time right right but, but it's rare very rare here's the problem going back to the cacklers cackling thing you know i i'm just gonna say i'm gonna continue to call them cacklers even that might not be uh exactly because cacklings like what i'm not gonna like we're out here shooting cacklings or cackling geese like, it's just too many it, cacklers is easier to say or little geese we're shooting little Cack. geese Cags. Yeah, we're <laughs> <laughs> that's my favorite. Got our hands on some nice cags. Got our hands on nice cags. <laughs> those really, those really, they're really pale in complexion. Those North Dakota cags. <laughs> yeah, they are. <laughs> Not like when you go out to California, the cags are much darker, <laughs> but smaller <laughs> and friendlier. <laughs> oh, funny. So. That kind of summarizes why there is so much confusion and misdirection and just people misspeaking about what is out there. And I don't even know if we really helped clear. Any we probably of didn't, but I know we've talked about like the mid, <laughs> I think you call them the mid continent geese. Like, okay. Unless yeah. they're the giant giants, you know, the, whatever you said, the Canadensis Maximus Decimus Meridius, whatever. Okay. I got, I got two more points on this okay about shit that makes it more confusing i'm not helping <laughs> it makes it more confusing so point number one about what makes this more confusing is banding certificates they came up with a list of species that they banned right and they stick to it so after 2004 when they split species of um tackling geese and canada geese they did not change band certificates so they only did when they found the giant Canada goose. So you can find banding certificates for, okay, I'm just going to rattle them off off the top of my head. Large Canada goose, Canada goose, small Canada goose, cackling goose, 
Aleutian Canada goose. Hmm. So I have talked to some of my Central Flyway friends that have shot a cackling goose band, but when they report it, the report says on the report, small Canada goose. Because when they banned, when they use the cackling goose bands and they designate a cackling goose band that is only on the subspecies Branta Hutchinsai minima that is only on cackling cacklers. So I've had uh, a buddy of mine uh, in the Central Flyway be like, if these, if, like, why don't, why do you call them cackling geese? And I said, because they're cackling geese. And he says, well, why did I shoot one? And it had a band certificate on it that said small Canada goose. I'm like, that's a really good question. So then I started, <laughs> so then I started exploring it and found out that these uh, species de- designation that they're using for banding projects are pre 2004 and they have not been updated. And the only band certificate you're going to see that says cackling goose on it is going to be for the minimas because that was when they were still a subspecies of the Canada goose. And even the Aleutian one, the Aleutian is definitely a cackling goose and they're very distinctive population of cackling goose. It says Aleutian Canada goose on the band cert to this day. They're still banding Aleutian cackling geese. So that's another reason this gets more muddled and confusing and then we go into the another reason they, this gets more muddled and confusing is once you break it down to species there's two subspecies canada goose cackling goose now you got the four subspecies of cackling geese and you got the seven subspecies of canada geese and now let's break that off into populations right which there can be multiple different populations because you just you had just mentioned mid-continent cackling goose population which is Branta Hutchinsai Hutchinsai, right? Mm-hmm. But they used to have different populations of the same species. In fact, like um, the Eastern Prairie population and the Western Prairie population were all interior Canada geese, Branta canadensis canadensis. They used to have the um, the mid-continent cacklers used to be the short grass prairie um, population and the long grass prairie population. They merged that into becoming the mid-continent cackling goose and so people start to go like, um, they start to talk about Richardson's and they start to talk about Hutchinson's and then they start to talk about EPPs, you know, and they're starting to get mixed, like talking about people are getting mixed up between what is a race and what is a population. That makes sense. Actually, I can see that being, um, I could see that like being in a conversation, you know, where two people talk about the same thing, but thinking they're not you know what i mean like no no yeah, i'm just like, talking about population not subspecies. like e- like our eastern prairie we we see a lot of epps through western minnesota our eastern prairie population is that is, is that a race of canada goose no it's a population of branta canadensis canadensis hmm. of in, it's a it's right. a population of interiors but there's a lot of different populations of interiors all along the hudson bay right we're just talking about one specific breeding area and that's a you know like Canada geese have much larger breeding areas than three out of the four subspecies of cackling geese. Makes sense. I, I mean, feel like I, we made some I, headway. I think so. I, I mean, I, I followed. I tracked. Do you think? Do you think anybody's even still listening anymore? Um, maybe <laughs> somebody's, but they're probably zoned out. <laughs> I do hope that somebody is listening to this and pulling their hair out and being like these stupid motherfuckers. And then they shoot me a message and tell me about how I'm wrong and what I missed because I actually am really interested in learning about this stuff. Um, I'm doing my best to kind of decipher it, but I just enjoy reading about it and learning myself. And if it turns out I'm wrong about something, it's like more of an interesting. So I hope there's somebody like, I hope there's somebody pulling their hair out and yeah. And then they contact us and it's somebody, you know, some, doctorate in white geeseology and at some university somewhere and then they like um i need to come on your show to set the record straight and like yes you do that would be perfect (laughs) yeah that would be great besides us just joe schmoes talking about why we're confused (laughs) yeah anyways waterfall hunting is just about talking about ducks and geese and don't have and if i know one thing you don't have to be right (laughs) yeah opinion opinion is as good as fact my fucking brain hurts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready for this podcast. Be done. 
<laughs> we'll thank our sponsor, our sponsors, and we'll roll. I think my sponsor tonight might be Bushlight Peach. <laughs> oh, that sounds terrible. I haven't had it yet. Have you? No. No, and I probably won't. You didn't I, like the Bushlight Apple? No, I did not jump on the apple train. I mean, I had it. It's it's marginally drinkable, but it just it takes it a step further. It's a light beer. Light beer is beer for people that don't really want to drink beer. Yeah. Fruit flavored light beer is for people that really don't want to be associated with actual beer, and they should just stop lying to themselves and drink a wine cooler and be done with it. Dude, I drink. I drink what the kids drink. <laughs> yeah, it's I too, haven't tried the peach yet, though. It's too sweet but for last, me. It's just too. It's just not. If I want a cocktail, year, I, uh, I have a cocktail. I mean, I don't. I don't know. It's just, <laughs> don't just don't call it beer. I mean, what the hell? Last um. Last year, I came home with, like, a 12-pack of those bush apples. It was, like, a hot, hot day. Oh, I cracked I cracked one, and next thing I know, dude, I slammed, like, six of those things <laughs> in, like, 45 minutes. My wife was just, like, casually going about her day, like, not paying attention to me, and she opened up the garbage to, like, throw something away, and she's like, what the fuck? <laughs> she's like, you just got home. Why is there six <laughs> beers in the trash? I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I was thirsty. <laughs> bush <-lad> apples. <laughs> Um, our sponsor today, Birds of the World. Go give Birds them, of the World yeah, org. Go give them eight bucks for your subscription. Cancel it after you listen to this show. Just like <laughs> read read through it while listening to this show, so you can see how wrong we've been. Dude, Birds of the World does kick ass though. Be fun. Uh, Oak Hammock Outfitters. Oak Hammock Outfitters up in uh, Oak Hammock. Call mm -hmm, them. Get mm -hmm, your applications mm -hmm. done. Call Bob. And then um, the uh, Goose Tech app, Nick Johnson Signature Series, Goose Call. Boom. There Tell it is. Boss Ammunition. Boss Ammunition. Uh, hey, uh, that's it. maybe Sitka Gear. Sitka Gear. Like, uh, oh, might as well give them a yeah. shout-out. When we'll shout do out. that for next week. You, you made a pretty good post on, like, now is a good time, or you were going through and returning your stuff, taking advantage of that lifetime warranty you're paying for the warranty not the name kind of thing i don't want i mean i pretty much just said the post but that would be a good topic yeah, for um next week we could talk and about gear you know now's the time off season start getting your stuff in order find out what has holes in it what doesn't you know i set my vortex binoculars in because a little thing in the eye cup broke in my truck accident no nope, there you go yeah so i sent that in and then i uh so we'll do a more yeah, let's, let's just plan on a more uh Gear gear maintenance episode for All next right, week. Clean out your stuff, fucking layout blinds. Stuff to think about. I could just that too, go yeah. off on that. Well, we'll have a whole episode for it. Make a, make a list. <laughs> well, if it's fresh in your mind, make a list of things that everybody needs to do, and that's what we'll talk about next week. All right, Jesus Christ, let's get out of here. All right, later, later dude. Bye. Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! oh. Look at Ooh. that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.